0: welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the digitized films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about a classic Clint Howard film, 1981's Evil Speak. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland.
1: Listeners, you can find 1981's Evil Speak on YouTube. Very easy.
0: Yeah, so... Do you think this is like the Clint Howard film? Like, if you want to know who Clint Howard is as an actor, is this a necessary viewing?
1: I, previously to watching this film, had only seen Mr. Howard as side characters. So it was very interesting getting to see him portray a character we could follow as they develop through, <laughs> of all things, of military academy. And to see like his absolute, like a complete range of like spectrum of emotions and reactions as opposed to him just being like, you know, some demented henchman.
0: Yeah, I think it's a fantastic performance, actually. Um, I'm not so sure it works for the movie, though. I don't think he's a very sympathetic character.
1: I don't think the movie tries to portray him as sympathetic.
0: No, I don't either. I'm just saying that I feel like if he had been sympathetic, it would have been a more effective movie. Really? I think so. Hmm. You don't have to entirely get rid of his flaws. Like, he's allowed to have flaws, right? But this isn't the descent of, like, an innocent person into Satanism or Estebanism this is the descent of an already weird kid who like steals things and lies and like doesn't fit in with society. I just, uh, I wish he was a more sympathetic character. I think that would make the corruption more, um, effect- more impactful. I mean,
1: he, it, it, I think at the base, his character is very sympathetic. I mean, he's like this, pitiful guy with a tragic backstory like he's basically been shoved into a military academy by the government because his parents died i don't even know if that's a like an actual thing it isn't right
0: i got the impression that like he won a scholarship or something like i didn't get the impression that he was there by force i thought part of the threat was that he might be expelled
1: they can't, they don't expel him though there's a point where it reaches critical mass everyone is absolutely disappointed with him and yet the colonel who's the headmaster of the academy makes it his life's mission to ensure uh that the main characters like development arc proceeds through this military academy so that he is formed into the perfect soldier or whatever the fuck he says.
0: Do, do you think that um, that Clint Howard's character, who's named Cooper Smith, uh, do you think Cooper Smith could have ever become a good soldier? So I'm probably going to
1: call him Cooper Dick on accident lots of times. <laughs> through this
0: recording just because you hear that more than his real name i know but it's not an intuitive nickname right like it doesn't seem like the first thing you would think of it, it's not related at all they literally just replaced half his name with dick yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying there's nothing clever about it oh it's a military academy you want kids to be clever Uh, Maybe I'm expecting too much.
1: So can he be the perfect soldier? Well, uh, I mean, if your definition of perfect soldier can also include perfect cannon fodder, then yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. I don't think like there's a point where his Latin teacher says something like you have a fine mind. um, And other people say that they know he has the potential, the capability. Um, And I'm not so confident that he does. He seems at the very least extremely easily distracted.
1: What we have here is a JJ situation where this man, again, has like 190 IQ. I want to say that number is actually mentioned in the movie.
0: In Evil Speak?
1: Yeah. I don't remember that. I think they drop his IQ number at some point. And then... (laughs) we are the we the audience are never allowed to glimpse him ever exercise this 190 IQ at any point
0: yeah um partly because i don't think the script writers had 190 IQ um, <laughs> right it's so it's difficult to put yourself in those shoes so we should talk briefly before we get into the the story we should talk about um, some of the people This was directed by a guy named Eric Weston. He has had a very successful career, I think, primarily as a producer. But this was his first film. And I think his only. No, he has one other horror film called Hyenas. Is it about hyenas? It's about, according to IMDb. Roving clans of shape-shifting human hyena creatures. You have my attention. It it came out in 2011. It looks like one of those sci-fi originals. I no longer want to see this. <laughs> yeah, see it. The in this you know, case, the picture does a lot. My
1: <laughs> my my initial reaction is like, yo, we could get like howling special effects of like a man transitioning into a hyena monster, and then as soon as you said 2011, I'm like, no, it's all CG.
0: Yeah, I would totally be down for a practical effects, uh, where hyena movie, but I don't think that's this. That's it probably hasn't come out. Hey,
1: did you know that the female, like a, a female hyenas, have like three times the amount of testosterone compared to other, like female animals?
0: I had no idea.
1: Yeah, they actually have like a small pseudo
0: penis. It doubles
1: did- as their birth canal.
0: And they, and do they use it to uh to mount others? No, no. Um, but it
1: is used for copulation, and and again, it's their birth canal. So they basically give
0: birth through their pseudo penis. I'm glad I know this information.
1: There is a there is a significant percentage of all hyena cubs that actually uh, die from suffocation because they don't get pushed through the pseudo penis fast enough.
0: You're the expert on hyenas.
1: Yeah, man, I really like hyenas. (laughs) (laughs) What is it about them that attracts you? Oh, you know, they just have like the strongest bite strength of any land mammal on the planet. Good to know. Respect the hyena.
0: Yeah, respect the hyena. But getting back to Eric Weston, what did you think of the direction? His debut film.
1: You know was this really directed like a horror film? Do you really feel like it was directed as a horror film?
0: no i think yeah. it's I think it's filmed like a like a soap opera or a drama, with the exception of way too many shots of the monitor on the computer well, this was like it, this was an Apple II computer. And apparently that was the the hottest selling computer at that point. And um, I think they they probably thought it made their film look cool and cutting edge. Because there's really no reason you need a computer in this movie at all. So, uh, you know, if you haven't seen this movie
1: and you're just copping into the middle of this and we're talking about computers in the middle of a military academy satanic possession film... um, You're probably wondering how this is all related. Uh, Do we do a quick rundown before the trailer, or do you want to just pump that now? Uh,
0: Let's play the trailer. I think most people have seen this movie, but if you haven't, you should pause this and go watch it, because it is worth watching, um, and then come back. Uh, But if you have seen it, you know what we're talking about. Let's play the trailer. This was my first watch,
1: and... This was a very 80s horror film that I'd never heard of before you mentioned it like a couple months ago. Yeah, it is. It's just crazy to me that this is like such cult status because everything here is like the trademark of like iconic 80s horror.
0: I think what it's missing is a sympathetic protagonist. Okay, maybe maybe before we play the trailer
1: we can talk about this. Do you think he's sympathetic up to a point and then maybe there's the point of no return?
0: I would compare this movie to a movie like Trick or Treat, the one with Gene Simmons in it. Have you seen that? No. Oh, well, we should definitely watch that at some point. Um, but it's basically a it's a very similar plot, right? You've got a socially awkward main character in that case, Ragman. And he's in a high school setting where he's relentlessly bullied in like dangerous ways. Um, And he is demonically possessed and goes on a revenge spree like that's very similar. Right. But in Trick or Treat, Ragman is sympathetic from the very beginning. Like, he's still socially awkward and he's bullied and he's an outcast, but I want him to succeed. Like, I think he's at heart, a good person. And I feel that way about Carrie, um, the Brian De Palma movie, like sissy Spacek's character, relentlessly bullied teen, socially awkward, um, doesn't know how to engage with the people around her, but sympathetic from the beginning of the movie. And I don't find Clint Howard's character here, even trying to be sympathetic. Um, And I I don't know what they could have done exactly to make him sympathetic because I think the performance is great. Like he does a great acting job. Um, It just doesn't quite work for the movie for me.
1: I don't think we are going to agree on this point because he is essentially a fish out of water in this environment. And I think you can find sympathy in that because he didn't choose to be here. He's being forced into a military academy because of circumstances outside of his control. But what I will agree with is that there is a certain point in the movie where you can understand why he makes the actions he does, but in doing so sacrifices his humanity and probably any chance of redemption in the eyes of the audience.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point to play the trailer and then we'll talk about the story.
1: Everyone's known a boy like Stanley Coopersmith. He He's the kid everyone used to pick. Screw up for the last time,
0: Cooper Dick. He will speak.
1: You see, everyone thought Stanley was a joke. <laughs> Cast with no one to turn to
0: you guys broke my catapult you're gonna pay for that
1: no one except man's most advanced machine stanley used the power of man to call on the powers of evil speak.
0: i stanley cooper smith command
1: With your strength and force, let them avenge me. that little kid you used to pick on well he's a big boy now unsurprisingly this trailer is mostly comprised of the last 20 minutes of the film
0: well and it it kind of pushes that revenge aspect um with the he's he's a big boy now or whatever. Um to go back to what I was saying, I don't have a problem with this being a revenge story. Like I all of those other movies I just mentioned are revenge stories. And to some degree this movie is like metal as fuck, right? It's it's just it's like a heavy metal movie without any heavy metal in it. Um and I like that about it. Like I can I can get behind. I identify with the protagonist, right? And I think everything that's being done to him and the way he's treated and all of that is horrible. Um, but I, I just don't get the sense that he's actually a good person. Like he doesn't even res- like hesitate diving into to Satanism, right? Like the first glimpse he gets at it, he's like, Oh, of course I'm going to be a Satanist now. Like it's, I don't know. I would expect more ethical quandary there.
1: Just because you have a 190 IQ doesn't mean you have an ethical backbone to rely
0: on. Well, that's part of the reason why I, I find him unsympathetic.
1: But you can also maybe see his situation is um, one of desperation. Like if he didn't do this, the alternative would just be to continue to suffer.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't blame him for what he does. I think it's like, to some degree, it's justice, right? And it's certainly satisfactory for the audience because we expect these bullies to like get what they deserve. Um, It might be a little bit over the top in terms of punishment, but um, it it is satisfying uh, dramatically. But no, it doesn't feel... um, I mean, even the little examples, like he he steals that guy's crowbar and then lies about it. Like there was no reason to. He could have said, like, "Oh yeah, I'll go give it back." Why saying he would give it back?
1: That's implicating himself in the theft.
0: Yeah, he could say, "I was, you know, I needed to clean something up, and something was in the way. I needed to move, and here I'm giving you your crowbar back." I don't know. I think that would have been. Um, the the thing that like a normal decent person would do we're we're talking about a 190 iq
1: guy not a 200 iq person
0: (laughs) are you saying my expectations are too high Mm, uh, well i the i clearly
1: um cooper smith here i had i had to think about it (laughs) cooper smith here um has some social issues.
0: Yeah, he he has a extremely hard time articulating any defense of himself.
1: So when he's put under pressure, I don't think he's gonna I don't think he's gonna think rationally. Yeah. He's just gonna cave. And I think partly that's because most if not all of his social interactions except for one guy at the academy are super negative. This man's been in like abusive parasocial relationships his whole life i don't think someone like that is going to have rational faculties in normal social situations like where's my crowbar
0: no 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 i i agree and i think that he i think the the portrayal is very realistic i think there are definitely people like this i mean this is a proto school shooter right? Oh, oh, you said it first. Thank you. Okay. It is. And <laughs>
1: I was going to ask you, what's the difference between summoning Satan and using, you know, demonic power to kill eight students and bringing an AR-15 and doing the same
0: thing? I mean, it's arguable that he didn't know in this case that the demonic force was going to kill them. Um, but I think he had reasonable evidence to suspect that it would. Yo, before
1: the climax of the film, at least two people die from demonic influence. You you can't claim ignorance at that point. Yeah, that's fair. One of them... Okay, so apparently the first death was not by his hands. That just happened. But then the second one was totally all him.
0: At what point in the movie do you think that he's possessed by Esteban and is no longer... Cooper Smith?
1: Probably the very end, like before the climax and during
0: the climax. Like when he's floating? Yes. (laughs) Okay. All right. So that means that a lot of the actions that he takes are Cooper Smith. They're not Esteban working through Cooper Smith. Yeah. All right. Because we could also interpret it as Esteban is gaining more and more control over him. Like whether we interpret that figuratively, like, you know, psychological control or literally like some sort of psychic control. Um, You could interpret it that way. Well, Esteban is certainly tempting him. After
1: all, um, he is being attacked by someone who is killed by demonic influence or magic and that shows Cooper Smith. I'm still, I still have to correct myself. I'm still thinking about it. That still shows Cooper Smith that he, um, has an answer. He has an answer to all of his problems and it's violence. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let, let's take a step back and talk about who Esteban is because this movie starts with like a prologue, um, is set in the Middle Ages um, with a group of this, I guess the Spanish Inquisition is banishing some people from Spain. Was that your take? Yeah, but this seems to be a really light punishment for what Esteban has been up to. This is some real white privilege shit. I was surprised as well, given the reputation of the Spanish Inquisition.
1: And so this scene is shot like on a beautiful old beach right and uh we have the inquisition on one side one soul satanist slash sith lord on the other and after this inquisition guy the inquisitor (laughs) he gives him the exile sentence esteban spits in his face how do you walk away from that alive? <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, not nah, th- this is not historically accurate. My work thought... was ruined from the get go.
0: <laughs> I mean, I've never actually studied this history. I'm not an expert, but my understanding of the Inquisition, based on like other films and things, is you either like admitted to your Satanism and renounced to Satan and pledged to follow God. Or you ended up dead. I think you were dead either way. Because by
1: renouncing, you're proving your guilt to them. And so you're guilty, you die. And then by denying it, they kill you anyway, because you're
0: refusing to, to renounce Satan. Okay. You can't win. Well, somehow, um, in this movie, Esteban gets a really sweetheart deal where he gets to go to America with all of his followers which is like how many people like 20 or 25 people right yeah so after immediately being banished
1: of course they just walk right down the beach like 20 minutes and perform a human sacrifice
0: (laughs) you've got to keep the uh like this movie doesn't let up there's no lull in the action
1: Oh, there's a lull in the action, but it starts off strong.
0: I, don't, a, I think there's this, always this,
1: there's always something going on in this movie. This man has like a long sword, like a, a satanic long sword with like a, a ruby inlet pommel. <laughs> I guess it's satanic looking. It's like the least satanic sacrificial weapon I've seen in, a, in one of these kinds of movies.
0: Yeah, it's more like. Well, I don't know what what kind of weapon would they have used in like the middle ages? Oh, I think sacrifices are normally with a big ass dagger. Okay. I don't know if those were common then among the Spanish.
1: You, You tell me an entire culture doesn't have a dagger, a demonic dagger laying around somewhere. Maybe their cultural heritage is to behead. I don't know. Hmm. And yeah, we do see quite a few beheadings. This was the first one. It It's amazing, the special effects, because, you know, they do the cut shot where you get to see the dummy for maybe like 0. 0.3 seconds as the head gets cut off. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. So I guess this was like their sacrifice for a um a blessed sacred voyage across the ocean. I guess this is supposed to be the um, satanic equivalent to the Mayflower. Yeah,
0: essentially yeah so but their- their land ultimately becomes the grounds of this military academy, and somehow Esteban has like a whole little room in the basement with all his books and his fetus in the jar and all of those things, and it's remained untouched for who knows how many years so his followers went across to America. They
1: founded a church under the guise of what appears to be Christianity. And then, uh, I think the military Academy just sort of attached itself to the church, which perceived, which, you know, had this reputation of being, Oh, here's St. Esteban. And he was very Christ-like and you know, embodied everything that Christians love, and that's that's the bond. Here's his church.
0: Do, you, are you suggesting that there's something like inherently satanic about these people who are running the military academy and
1: no, church? I. I don't think, man, at the beginning of this film, I kept thinking the priest is in on it. The Nazi professor is in on it. Like, some, all these people have to be in on it somehow. Cause, you know, there's this Latin teacher is clearly supposed to be like a reformed Nazi, you know, picked up after World War II, right? Obviously. And you're thinking has to be Satanist, right? Has to have taken place in like, the fears, like sat- satanic rit- rituals, that he used to try to win World War II or something. The-, the movie does not take that route. Apparently, nobody in this fucking academy has any idea of Esteban's like secret burial spot under the church, which is crazy to me.
0: And that's what I'm getting at is it's it's bonkers that they they would not be either familiar with the history or. Having just stumbled across the room while being in the basement.
1: Now, the history, I can buy that, right? You know, you just kind of take the church at face value, you know, ah, oh, St. Esteban, you traveled to America, you made a church, great. Like you can well, hide, the- you can hide that. But the room that you're talking about, military, yeah. the military in general, right? Well regimented, everything's categorized, sanitized categorized and and kept in order for the most part at least at least on the homeland right there is no way a military academy would not find this room in any capacity for as
0: long as it has existed that's what i think but it, and i've never thought about this before what if like reverend jameson the reverend what if he is aware of the room And he is part of this Esteban cult. He can't be because
1: he's the first one that dies in the finale. Sorry, spoilers. Uh, This character's in the movie for like five minutes.
0: True, but I mean, I don't think Esteban has the highest regard for his own followers. Hmm. That. We can't make that assumption. No, I'm just taking guesses, man, because it's otherwise
1: it's inexplicable. Okay, so I the the Reverend is not in on it. I think the best you can come up with is maybe the Reverend knows what's down there and doesn't want to bring it to light because it would besmirch the church. Well, that kind of rhymed. So well. he so he he hides it. He 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 does not acknowledge it. Maybe he even suppresses it. Like he doesn't even want to think about it.
0: But But there's starts
1: to stress out when when uh, Cooper Smith is delving around in the basement because maybe he suspects that he did find something.
0: But there's a scene where he's giving a tour to like a a woman who's a donor to the to the academy. Um, Doesn't he tell her about the history of Esteban and like isn't he well researched on this topic?
1: Yeah, he says Esteban was a glorious man of Christ that like came over from Spain and founded this lovely church to, you know, it, I think that's the setup for the fake history, right? Because they're not going to come out and say, oh, you know, he's a Satanist, he came over from the, the, the Spain to our country to found a, a fucking fake Christian church. At one point, Cooper Smith gets access to the computer lab right he's he's on his apple and mm-hmm. somehow the writers of this sh- of this movie predicted chat gpt <laughs> where cooper smith types in a fucking prompt the computer analyzes it and pops out answers based on the data he's input yes so there's a point where the computer tells us, the audience, and I guess, and um, at the same time, Cooper Smith, that Esteban believed that the world was so cruel that the only way it could be this bad, this like evil, is if Satan was actually God. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he actually perpetuated that belief system once he came to, to the U.S., I would imagine you try to keep that shit on the down low so you don't get exiled again cuz where do
0: you go from here? <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe. I got the impression that he kept his his occultism alive until his death because he had that whole room apparently that was like dedicated to Satan or whoever he worships. Sure, but he was buried in a coffin that's cross-shaped. I think it's
1: supposed to be upside down, though. It's never shown that way on on camera. I don't know,
0: because he wears one... one...
1: So the bottom of the cross faces the door, the entryway, to that, that chamber.
0: But he wears a cross around his neck that's upside down. I guess what I'm getting at is that
1: there's a lot of mixed symbolism, because this guy apparently believes that Satan is God, but also he uses God's iconography along with things like the pentagram because they're one in the same and maybe this is giving the movie way too much credit
0: I got the impression that they were an occult group that worshipped Satan or some mystical reality um, because they believe in things like sacrificing people and um, and I assume that that cult just went on practicing in the United States, albeit under the guise of a church. And so it wouldn't surprise me if the current reverend is still part of that lineage, if he is still has these occult beliefs, um, especially because the performance, the actor's performance is it suggests that he shouldn't be trusted. Now, this could be that he's kind of a bully to Clint Howard's character, and we shouldn't trust him for that reason. But I think there's something more sinister going on. Possibly, but they don't elaborate on it. No, we don't find this out. Um, But to some degree, I think we're supposed to take it this way. Like the room is a fantasy scenario for Cooper Smith. Right. It's a place for him to escape to. He can keep all his stuff there. He can raise a a puppy there like he gets privacy from the bullies. This is like a dream come true. And so the only way the movie can create that. And have it make sense is for there to be a space that no one else knows about. So I think it's just a plot device. Probably. Yeah.
1: I'm just saying the, the odds of a room going undiscovered. When it's hidden in such plain sight, just seems incredibly unlikely.
0: No, I agree fully. So yeah, uh, he has his own
1: little dungeon down here, right? Yeah. Um, What's crazy is that there's a power
0: outlet in here. <laughs> well, he does have to go outside of the door and plug it in. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a little bit removed at least. All that was separating this room from the rest of the basement was like a sheet of plywood, right? Yeah, a sheet of plywood that he had a crowbar off. Yeah. So
1: I can, okay. So the, the church is supposed to be maintained by this groundskeeper. Right.
0: This, they call him old
1: drunk guy that lives in the catacombs basement.
0: His they call him Sarge.
1: Now I am positive that this man could possibly never find this room because he is
0: completely liquored up 120% of the time. And totally incurious about any of his surroundings because he doesn't leave the confines of his bedroom, really.
1: His bedroom being a single mattress inside the basement right he might travel 50 feet from it but no further we don't see a bathroom at any point
0: no no so let's talk about um let's talk about its each of the adults um in the movie and and we can start with sarge there is a very alarming scene where sarge is drunk of course and is attacking Cooper Smith and he says something like I'm gonna show you how I turn a little boy into a little girl do you remember the line I'm talking about yeah (laughs) so is does he get the award for like the worst adult in the movie probably probably by a long shot yeah (laughs)
1: like the other adults suck but
0: they don't go this far. The The second worst might be the, the soccer coach who says to one of the students, you know, he pulls him aside and says, I can't keep Cooper Smith out of the game, but if something were to happen that would make him unable to play, that could be a possibility. That's pretty bad. We haven't talked about it, but um, this military academy is pretty big on soccer. And they have a a policy that every student plays, including Cooper Smith, even though at least the other boys don't think that he's um, skilled enough to help them win. Um, And so they bully him about it and, you know, don't pass to him on the field and they blame him for ruining the game, so on and so forth. For the most part, um,
1: I feel like Cooper Smith's uh, predicament is very far outside of his control. However, he knows these kids don't want him to play in the soccer game, but he still adamantly demands to be put in.
0: Yeah, he's not. That's what I'm getting at is that there are things he does that are either clearly not in his self-interest, which I can accept because he's a teenager, right? He he looks older. In fact, they had he's wearing a toupee because he was already balding at this point. Um, but he's a teenager and he doesn't have, you know, his brain, his decision-making faculties are not fully developed. I can accept some irrational decisions. Um, but a lot of his decisions aren't sympathetic decisions. Like they
1: make him seem like a jerk. This is the only time where I felt like he was really contributing to his victimization. Because he knows they don't want him there. I mean, morally, you shouldn't let them win, right? It, on on If you want to be righteous about it. Like, you know, you play in the game because fuck them. This is what I want to do. But rationally speaking this is like you were saying not in his best interest he should really think about self-preservation here well and I don't the, even know if not participating in the soccer games would even get make the kids get off
0: his case maybe they would still be on it I think they would I think they need someone to, to pick on it's clear that if it wasn't him it would be the black kid the one black kid so they befriend one another because I don't think they have anything else. I didn't get the
1: impression that that kid was a social outcast. I mean, yeah, he's not a part of the bully uh like subculture, but there's more kids at this academy than just the bullies and Cooper Smith.
0: Yeah, I got the impression that he was somewhere in between, but I And maybe this is me reading too much into the character, but I got the impression that he felt bad about it, but he was kind of relieved that everyone was bullying Cooper Smith because otherwise he thought that it would have been him.
1: If that was true, though, why would he come to the defense
0: of Cooper Smith more than once throughout the film when shit was getting way too heated? Well, he still wants to be his friend. Like, he still cares about him. I'm not saying that his all of his motivations are tactical. I'm just saying that's an underlying thought or feeling. Maybe, but I think that if that was true, like,
1: 100%, you wouldn't want to take the heat off your decoy. Mm, perhaps. Because if you categorize yourself with the prey, they're going to start considering you prey as well.
0: Yeah, no, I, I get that.
1: Now, if he was like this huge, like physically, uh, like, I don't know, impressive specimen of a child, right? Like this man was like star athlete. Then maybe he could like stave off any sort of threat to not only himself, but possibly anyone he wants to put under his protection. But that's not this kind of movie. We don't got that kind of character.
0: No. But to go back to Cooper Smith and like his his um, any sympathy I have for him, like to give you another example, he he gets in trouble because he's late to class. And apparently this is the second class in a row that he's been late to. And so the teacher gives him a referral to see the sergeant at the end of the day. That seems entirely reasonable to me, like. Yeah, it sucks that he has to go see the sergeant who's a bully, but he was late. Like he earned he wasn't his punishment. Sent
1: to the sergeant, he was sent to the colonel. The
0: colonel. Okay. I- I'm mixing up my rankings.
1: All right. So we were we kind of got off track from talking about the adults, right? So we have the sergeant who lives in the basement. We have the reverend who may or may not be aware of the satanic presence inside the church. We have the teacher, the one teacher we see who I don't remember his name, but he's very German. And I'm pretty sure his backstory that's unspoken is that he was a a Nazi holdover that managed to escape the Nuremberg trials for whatever reason, probably because the government thought we could use him in some way.
0: I mean, I don't know if this is a, a praise or or damning of the movie but we're reading a whole lot into these characters that like there's it's not set on screen Um, that's true yeah but the fact that the movie inspires that kind of thought about the characters i don't know maybe there's something in that and not the final adult but oh and then there's
1: the coach but the final adult that i think is probably worth mentioning here is the colonel who is the headmaster of the entire school um, very traditional kind of guy walks around with the little whip thingy, the crop. Yeah. Crops that, that, that military leadership probably stopped using like 30 years prior to the, to the filming of evil speak. <laughs> and, uh, he, he seems blissfully unaware of just how bad Cooper Smith's situation is. And, um, also completely off the mark in, 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 like, estimating his potential
0: as a human being. Well, it's clear, and it's clear in the movie that none of the adults like Cooper Smith either. So, like, none none of the kids except his one friend like him, and none of the adults like him. So he's in a really bad situation. I think the reverend is indifferent to him. Maybe there's something about the reverend that strikes me as sinister.
1: Yeah. But you're he right, did. no one else likes him.
0: He didn't strike
1: you as sinister? Well, maybe the you know, maybe the teacher doesn't mind Cooper Smith so much cuz he is the one guy that says you have a lot of potential.
0: Yeah, he says uh he says you have a fine mind. So, yeah, I I think that the, um, is it the colonel who's in charge?
1: Yes, the colonel.
0: I think the colonel tells him something like, you have potential, or, um, he says something like, it would be one thing if you weren't capable, but we know you are. Something like that. Mm, Yeah,
1: I don't know. It doesn't sound genuine coming from this guy, though, because after their first meeting in the head office, um, they end it with, uh
0: spanking Cooper Smith with the crop yeah which I'm not justifying as a punishment right I think it's um, totally unethical Um, definitely not but
1: in this the scene kind of made me feel like that this was more for the colonel's satisfaction he does come off as sadistic like enjoying it yeah like he doesn't like this kid and now he gets to beat him yeah.
0: Well, to put like a, a period on my point, I what I'm getting at is that there are at, there are times where the adults reprimand Cooper Smith because of something that the bullies did to him, right? So, for example, he gets in trouble for not having his hat because one of the bullies threw it out the window. He didn't want to snitch on the other kid and say that he had done it. So he said, oh, I lost my hat and he gets in trouble. That's unfair punishment, right? Yeah. But then there are other things that he has total control over that he's getting punished for. And those things are totally deserving. And so I'm not that sympathetic towards those. But I don't know. I still think uh, Clint Howard does an excellent job. So agreed. Agreed
1: so this is how the plot progresses right we're introduced to cooper smith we're introduced to his horrible situation as to why he's here we find out about esteban cooper smith finds the hidden room inside the room he finds a book a a like a satanic bible of sorts which he then takes to the computer lab and even though this kid's in fucking Latin class, apparently he ain't using his one hundred ninety IQ because he has to put everything into the computer to translate the Latin, which then explains Esteban's background and how to coincidentally um, summon Esteban or the devil to uh, evoke
0: his powers. Yeah, the way points. the the way I understand it in the movie is like after he inputs all of this information the the Apple II computer chat GPT style is able to um amalgamate it and create almost a consciousness where it can answer questions and things
1: yeah um that was definitely way outside the technological boundaries of 1981 but it is right on time for for 2023.
0: Well, I think the insinuation is that the computer is somehow possessed by Esteban. By by typing in the Satanic
1: Latin passages. It's not just Latin, it's Satanic Latin. There's a big difference. Uh-oh. By by putting in <laughs> that kind of uh uh language into the computer, it is in fact possessing the hardware.
0: I I do have a question I wondered about. Um we see during one scene that he Cooper Smith is getting kicked off of the computer because you have to sign up for a time slot and he's overstayed his because someone else is waiting for his, despite this like shortage of computers, he is able to take one and install it in the basement where nobody notices. Right. Okay. So I was just wondering if I was like, that doesn't a, work, right? There's a
1: lot of reaching here. I mean, okay. Okay, like this is a military academy that was unable to find a hidden room in a basement, right? And actually, it wasn't we keep saying hidden. It's not hidden. It's not a hallway. It was boarded up. <laughs> I guess you we can assume that if a military academy is that disorganized, that they can probably miss seeing one computer.
0: But it, it's silly because they didn't need to have a scene that showed us there was a shortage of computers. If they hadn't have had that, I wouldn't have questioned it. I would have been like, well, obviously, this school has plenty of computers. But no, they make sure we know that there's, a, that there's not. Anyway, I thought that was silly. So then the rest of the film
1: is uh, Cooper Smith being traumatized <laughs> along with the uh, scenes of him delving deeper into the satanic rituals. And a, a lot of it is divided up with um, shots of the computer monitor um, and a lot of like 80s computer graphics with swirling uh, pentagrams on a screen overlaid with the name Esteban. <laughs>
0: yeah it's really cheesy and dated now but i think that makes the movie more charming like i'm i like that this movie has those graphics
1: it definitely didn't age well but it fits the theming of the entire movie
0: and at least it's not like the worst thing is when a sci-fi movie ages badly because it's supposed to be predicting the future this movie is supposed to take place in 1981 and so, you know, that was the technology. Hmm. So I don't I don't see it as um, as much. It makes it sort of a time capsule. But can we talk about what I think is the weirdest side plot? Oh, Which... you know,
1: as soon as you said weirdest side plot, I just forgot there's an adult we did not mention.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a secretary. The, oh, no. Um...
1: Oh, no. I thought it was the other guy.
0: Oh, I was going to talk about the colonel secretary who steals uh, the Esteban book from Cooper Smith.
1: Yeah, he's fucking Butterfingers and drops the demonic Bible that he's carrying around in fucking public and into a fucking
0: trash can. And this is like an ancient book, right? From the Middle Ages. This would be a valuable artifact, right? Yes. Like that whole room is filled with manuscripts that would, if they were known about, I think, be preserved. I mean, at this point, they would probably
1: be um, like picked up by like the X-Files from the government and then (laughs) the CIA would figure out how to weaponize Esteban to, you know, uh, regime change other countries.
0: Yeah, I don't know. There's all this alleged information now that the government has confiscated UFO materials, you know that's all bullshit. Who knows what else they're hiding?
1: You know, no, there's no UFOs. That that shit actually aggravates me. Cause if you actually read those articles, the evidence that you know, the evidence that UFOs have been like picked up by the government are no better than anything else that have been that has been released since like the fucking 40s or whatever. Like it's yeah. all the same shit. It's just hearsay. There's no pictures, there's no physical evidence. It's just Guys with vaguely governmental relationships saying, oh, yes, this is here.
0: Yeah, the, we'll we'll see if anything comes of it. I, no, I think nothing is going to come of it. In fact, the guy who
1: actually has been dropping that information in public also believes in werewolves and will-o-wisps and ghosts and shit and goes out to a fucking ranch looking for them like on a nightly basis. There's no fucking UFOs.
0: What, what I was getting at, though, is that for whatever reason, he's managed to catch the attention of some Congress people and those Congress people are now pushing investigations and, and some of them are pushing additional funding for this so-called unit that exists. So he's gotten the attention of like important people. I, I'm not saying he's credible. I'm just saying that um, there there will be. This isn't going away in the news, I don't think.
1: No, um so the reason why Congress is getting involved is because the guy who's been making these UFO claims worked in the in some sort of government capacity to create a uh, a basically a site system for our country so that we could see objects flying over our country that don't belong to, you know, our 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 agencies so for example Chinese spy balloons and shit um but apparently he squandered all this money in trying to create a UFO program instead at the behest of uh, actually some congressman whose name I can't remember right now but we could probably look it up and uh once it once the spy balloon shit popped right when the that that was found like what two months ago whenever that happened We started looking into how did we not see this? And that's how it was uncovered that this guy who was supposed to be in charge of a program to find objects flying over our country had instead been using it to try to contact fucking UFOs in space.
0: Well, I, I don't know all the details, but I know that um there are some Congress people who have been calling for explanations of like or reports of the so-called materials that the government is holding on to. Not that they're the most
1: trustworthy people, but I'm pretty sure the CIA said in the 90s that they made up all the fucking UFO stories in the 70s to to hide the fact that they were testing stealth aircraft in our skies.
0: Yeah. So. Anyway, what what where did we detour from? What were we talking about? So the secretary gets a hold of <laughs> gets a hold of this valuable book, Which, Esteban's personal satanic Bible. Her only interest in it, she barely even opens it. Is she wants to pry the jewels off of the front of it? Jewels is
1: kind of a gracious way of saying a single brooch on the front of the cover.
0: Yeah, I'm not even sure why she wants it so much, but she's trying to pry that off. And every time she begins to attempt to. The hogs get angry. Why
1: does a military academy have a hog farm?
0: (laughs) I don't know. Some of like we see Clint Howard, he has a chore where he has to go and like clean the hog pen and feed them. And I was thinking the same thing. Like, why is this even here?
1: Why does a nunnery have a dog kennel? Why does a military academy have a pig pen? I don't understand. Actually, we're not calling them pigs. They are hogs. They're definitely hogs. They are hogs. They're huge and black and furry. And it looks like the kind of fur that you would pet and it would
0: just chap your skin. (laughs) (laughs) But they want them to look scary because there's scenes where they eat people. It's jumping ahead kind of far, but yeah. Yeah. Um, But there I I kind of like the way it's edited and like portrayed. I just don't know why what the connection is. But yeah, the the effect of her prying at this at this medallion or this brooch seems to be that the hogs get possessed inflamed
1: this may be the first movie i've ever seen that equates like hogs with satanism like normally it's goats or sheep or rams
0: maybe bats wolves yeah it isn't never a hog it is an odd choice but i really appreciate it
1: this so the second time she tries to fry the brew chop the book with what a nail file or a butter knife something butter knife she gets flustered and decides to take all of her clothes off seductively in her own (laughs) home by herself and take a shower this was so fucking
0: gratuitous (laughs) it was weird it felt um it felt at odds with the rest of the movie like it felt like it came out of nowhere yeah i i don't know why this is here
1: I I don't know, man. I just got like I just
0: got like Quigley vibes from like Jacko for this scene. <laughs> well, her whole story arc it's about her trying to take this medallion off, and the the hogs getting angry, and it it has nothing seemingly to do with the main storyline. So it it's almost like some. you know passion project someone wanted really wanted this idea in the movie or they had to come up with a reason for creature effects or something i don't know
1: the scene is ridiculous so while she's like seductively cleaning herself off in the shower um we get like shots of the pigs freaking out and then (laughs) we get still shots of outside her house with no hogs. But, you know, there's the ominous presence that maybe they're coming. And then we get a shot of her apartment door from the outside. And then the inside. And then suddenly, hogs burst into the bathroom. (laughs) And there's hogs in the. <laughs> that hop in the shower. And they uh, attack her and kill her. And just at the very end of the scene, we get to see one ripping out some fake organs. It looks like fruit on the foot. <laughs> I did not consider this until just now. This woman's death is never mentioned
0: again <laughs> at-, at any point in the movie. <laughs> well, I think most of the rest. It- no it is more than one day because there's definitely a, a day in between the like uh the beauty pageant that they have and oh, the, the beauty pageant the oh, big soccer We've been talking game talking about this movie for
1: like two hours <laughs> there's so much we haven't covered <laughs> oh, no so <laughs> so this woman dies and no one no one pays attention nobody They bought the director bothers to put a scene in that there's a missing computer, but the secretary just fucking gone. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very strange. You know, the weirdest part of this whole scene, it's not the man eating hogs. It's not the obvious sexual objectification of the secretary. It's the fact that after all this happens, the Esteban Bible just fucking phases into the
0: ether. And just like the secretary is never mentioned again. Well, no, it, it reappears on Esteban's coffin at the end. And oh, does it? And and that's when in fact um Clint Howard's character puts more of it into the computer. Oh shit. All right, then I totally totally missed that. Well, it is silly that the uh the book just dissolves. Because that <laughs> could have he could have done that before, right? Why did he wait till now? Why did he wait for the pigs to kill him before <laughs> taking
1: it back? <laughs> uh, you know, seems- I, I feel like we've said this
0: before on the show, but Satan works in mysterious ways. It It, it seems very silly and arbitrary. Hmm. Anyway, do you want to talk about the beauty pageant? <laughs> Why is this a thing?
1: <laughs> Where are these women coming from? Uh, they're because they're not students at the academy. Presumably, they're only male students here. This is know, a but, military academy.
0: But they do seem to be the same age as the, the the guys, which made it very weird to me that the adults were the ones who rated and judged them. I didn't consider that it was... No, it was audience participation that, that judged. Right, but at the end of the day, the guy hosting it was like, clearly the winner is and everyone was like on the edge of their seat wanting to know who won and he picked one like so beauty pageants in general are fucking weird right but this is particularly
1: weird because it's being facilitated by the adult staff to bring in off-campus women to be touted around a bunch of like teenagers in the middle of their sexual awakenings when you're running like a single sex academy
0: I think this is the last thing you want to do the the way I imagined it and I could be reading way too much into it is I thought there was probably like a a similar academy or school that was girls only and sometimes they would intermingle for a for events and so these guys would occasionally see these girls um, on, at joint school events. That would make more sense. But I don't think that's the case. Oh, I do. I think I think that's the situation. But that makes it even weirder that the adult is rating them in a beauty contest. I Yeah, I don't think
1: i don't think any cadets regardless of sex would be allowed to participate in any kind of beauty pageant within the context of like military decorum i mean to be fair this military academy is run very shady like there's nothing military academy-esque about it besides the uniforms (laughs) it's kind of like bro culture yeah there's bro culture And I mean, there is bro culture in the military, but not this blatantly on display.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe this rang true in 1981. I don't know. Uh, I there's
1: there's no fun on a military academy that isn't supposed to be sports related. Right. Like, there's no way they would put a fucking pageant, a beauty pageant on at a military academy. I refuse to believe it. This is less believable than Satan possessing an apple.
0: <laughs> yeah, I knew. I know they used to like fly in, um, you know, uh, models and things for the troops overseas. Yeah, that's totally different than a military academy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, I know we're running long on time. I, I think we need to talk about the, um, the final sequence or the last like 30 minutes of the movie i don't think it's quite 30 minutes but it
1: is quite a beefy climax but it's something that we've been like
0: edging towards the whole time yeah this is a movie that that saves like the action for a very long time, like I said earlier, something's always happening, which it is. I don't think there's a moment of this movie that lets up and where you would get bored. But it saves the supernatural like horror shit till the very end. This very easily could have been one of those movies where,
1: um, you know, we can't talk about the climax yet. We we have
0: to talk about the very, the other side plot, the dog side plot. Oh, I was just going to mention that he has, in the course of the movie, procured a dog, and um, okay, so it- he's been working in the basement for so
1: long on one particular night that he missed lunch, or he missed dinner, he missed mess hall. So the the reverend very creepily tells him, "Get the fuck out of the basement. You're getting too close to stuff, and uh, see if you can pick up the leftovers." So, Cooper. Cooper Dick, I'm just, I keep thinking it. I gotta say it at least once, shows up to the fucking mess hall and gets like the last scrap of like mashed potato at the bottom of the bin, just in time for what looks like slaughterhouse Anthony Bourdain to come out from the fucking kitchen and be like, "Yo, come, get, come over here, I got something for you," and makes him a fucking steak. Yeah, this is the only adult in the whole movie that's nice to him. This is the only adult you don't want to see get destroyed by Satan, and you know he survives. Does he? Yeah, he's he. This is it. The last scene we see him in is uh, in the mess hall, telling, telling his telling Cooper Dick's friend that he doesn't know where Cooper Dick be right before the finale, and then yeah, but- you know he serves a mistake eats a steak and then anthony bourdain is like yo you want to see something else really fucking cool and you think it's going to be fuck on something ominous but then he shows them some dogs a dog that had a litter of puppies and uh i, I almost wanted him to be like yeah so uh that's where your steak came from but that's not what happened
0: no there's a. of course there is one poor dog that is not making it the the, the chef or the cook says that he might as well let nature take its course and he doesn't think he's going to make it. Um, but it's so obvious that Cooper Smith identifies and empathizes with this dog. And so he asks if he can have it. Right.
1: And uh, I'm pretty sure this dog would die anyway because it's not nursing
0: and there's nothing you can do to replace that really. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the only thing that we see him feed it is bones, bones, like a bag of bones. Yep, just give a puppy a bone, it'll be fine. But I don't think, I don't think the chef survives. The chef survives. He's not in the chapel. Yeah, but at the end of the movie, there's a there's a text scroll that tells us that Cooper Smith was the only one to survive. I think that meant within the context of the chapel. That made me think like, okay, well, I guess he killed like even his, his friend, the black kid. I didn't consider that because he wasn't in the chapel. Yeah, but he could have killed people afterwards or before. I don't know. Is there a time frame he could have killed more people? I guess you can uh, make the assumption that the
1: movie doesn't end. Actually, after killing all the bullies and he leaves the, the grounds to continue his murder spree but i think within the context of the movie that is not what's going on okay
0: all right but, Well, so
1: then this dog lives in the basement with cooper smith and at some point right before the finale when things really start to get heated up the bullies find his sanctuary they trash the place and they see that the computer is demanding a blood sacrifice and uh they decide to sacrifice the dog do you think that these bullies are like unrealistically evil well they were drunk as fuck when they were doing this and i could see drunk people going way too far but yes they are cartoonishly evil
0: i mean they're they're not just like experimentally killing the dog they're chanting kill 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 like lord of the flies style it's um it seems yeah cartoonish but
1: you could say maybe esteban's influence is you know pushing them on because maybe he knows to get his true disciple over the edge to be fully committed to the cause he needs to suffer a tragic loss
0: yeah this is what drives Cooper Smith over the edge um and and full on to ready to summon Esteban like at this point Cooper Smith has seen the
1: power of Esteban kill Sarge just twisted his head around 360 or 180 180 we, and then it infused Cooper Smith with the power the strength to pick up his teacher And throw him into a spiked chandelier. Yeah, this was ridiculous.
0: (laughs) Yo. (laughs) (laughs) Like he throws him upwards onto a horizontal chandelier.
1: That's spiked. And it just happens to have enough strength to keep a whole ass body up there suspended.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't believe it at all. Uh Oh,
1: But I think that is the blood sacrifice that... Triggers the finale because now Esteban is like, I am thirsted. He kind of hops into Cooper Smith's like corporeal form,
0: right? Yeah, and we then, see we see like a superimposed face over Clint Howard's. It actually looks pretty good. It kind it kind of looks like a pig demon,
1: which yeah, is it, on it, brand.
0: First, it's like Esteban's face, and then it morphs into a pig demon with a really long, ridiculous tongue. And then he morphs back into Clint Howard. Meanwhile, upstairs, the reverend is trying to give a pep
1: talk to the members of the soccer team, which is entirely comprised of the bullies. You have the coach up there and the colonel. And it sounds like very um, like Jesus youth counselor. So the reverend says, you know, i watch your games. And I see you try to throw one over on the, the referee, but you know what you can't do is throw one over on the biggest referee. And like, you know, <laughs> talking about Jesus just has, has, uh, it just has that, that fucking Jesus summer camp vibe to it.
0: Yeah. This is the, this is the scene where the, the, Reverend kind of morphed for me he seemed more like that youth counselor type of person whereas before he had seemed seemed sinister um but I don't know I think I think like youth counselors are kind of sinister so maybe I'm just biased well I mean I've only known one youth counselor personally and
1: uh he he got hired as a police officer and then lost his job like two months in for drunk driving so
0: that's my youth counselor experience I mean I had plenty of good youth counselor experiences I also had some borderline creepy ones so but I won't get into that
1: but while this guy is uh, you know preaching to the to the team there's a giant stone crucifix behind him that starts uh, developing a pulse
0: and wiggling its hand and
1: wiggling its hand and this is how the slaughter starts because the blood pressure builds up to the point where it begins to leak and bleed and the reverend turns around and looks at it and then through sheer blood pressure (laughs) the nail of the right hand spews out with enough force to instantly headshot this guy and kill him. Yeah, it's it's even the it's the blunt end of the nail that hits him, right? Yeah, but it goes in. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little dis I like this scene, but I'm a little disappointed that um I really thought what was going to happen is Jesus was going to hop off the cross and start murdering people.
0: Uh, no, alas, instead you get flying Clint Howard with a sword. Uh, but we could have had both. We could have had both. It might have been too much? So yeah, Clint Howard, like emerges from the floor because he's down in the basement
1: after an um, explosion, there's an explosion, and he comes through the floor. <laughs> like this is really dramatic. And the entire time you have the the Latin the demon Latin opera music chanting the entire time. As the church burns to the ground.
0: And uh, at what point do the pigs show up? Um, It's a little bit after this. He He's already beheaded someone, I think. Oh, yeah. He beheads the, you know, he beheads so many people. I don't remember the order. I think he beheads the coach first. Hmm. But before that, what do you think of his posture? Like the way he sort of hangs in the air.
1: It's like inhuman and it's how it should be. There's nothing human about what's going on right now.
0: Yeah, it is a very weird um, choice. The way he like holds his body um, kind of like flailed out. Uh, it It's really interesting. I liked it. It's probably part style and
1: part the way the harness is fixed to him. Yeah,
0: that's what I figured. But either way, the effect is really cool. So, yeah, what do you think of the climax, all of the beheadings and explosions? If I were disappointed with
1: the rest of the movie, I would say that this is still still worth watching the whole thing for.
0: Do you feel like, like, are you at all sad that the bullies are dying or do you think it's fully justified? We're
1: totally set up that we know these guys are going to die. This movie could have very easily been a slow montage of... Kids getting picked off one by one, in, in like montage murder scenes. Yeah, a and more a more traditional movie would do that. I actually really liked this approach to it. This this was very refreshing to throw everything in like this last like fifteen minute
0: like finale. Well, it, it allows them to build the characters, and and that's that's part of why I feel like the movie isn't entirely successful is because. Ideally, you would be building sympathy during all of that time for your protagonist, but I, I don't think they really succeed in doing that. It's the colonel that gets killed first, and he doesn't get his head chopped off. He gets
1: bisected. Oh, yeah. He gets chopped right down the prime meridian. Yeah. It looks pretty and, cool. And then as soon as that happens, the hogs show up. They just emerge from the bottom ramp <laughs> from nowhere. I <laughs> 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 they were on the march this climax is would not have been the same without the hogs i really appreciate it
0: it it is bonkers like you're right that you need to see the movie just to see this scene because it's it's unique in like horror in the in the genre of horror there's nothing else quite like this of course the hogs eat the fat bully cuz you know
1: has to be that way. The, I really appreciate the hog special effects because they do a good job of mingling in the actual hogs with what's clearly a puppet mauling people.
0: Yeah, it's well done. It's um, it's on the same level as uh, if anyone's seen that movie Razorback. It's an Australian movie about a killer boar, and um, that one's similarly well done. But both pretty realistic. The last
1: bully to be picked off is of course the Alpha Bully. What is his name? I don't even
0: remember. Uh it's um shoot, it's something stupid like Bubba. It is, it's Bubba. Oh, it's Bubba, that's right. So
1: <laughs> Bubba manages to, to somehow <laughs> escape the main chapel, gets a chunk of his shoulder taken out by a hog through a door. <laughs> like he turns around and watches it eat part of him. Um, he tries to escape out a window, but they're all covered with that Spanish style bars over the windows, which make everything look like prison. <laughs> if you live in Florida, there's a lot of uh, like historic Spanish uh, colony buildings, and they all have fucking bars over the windows. Everything bars over everything. I don't know what they're trying to keep out. Hmm. Mosquitoes. Oh, yes. With so- giant fucking (laughs) four inch
0: bars he makes boars. (laughs) apparently apparently you have to worry about wild boars here they didn't fucking work (laughs) it clearly didn't work
1: (laughs) they just get in through the basement (laughs) he scrambles his way all the way to the uh to the to the sanctuary only to have his heart ripped out
0: by a seemingly reanimated sergeant Yeah, this was very strange because we don't have any other examples of zombies in the movie.
1: Uh I mean, when you read about the 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 Bible's you know, um uh, vision of the apocalypse, it's always the dead will rise, right? So I think it's supposed to be this is just a little slice of
0: apocalypse. Just a little bit of a of Armageddon as a treat. I would have just liked to have seen more. Like, if you're going to show me one zombie or reanimated person, like, show me more so that I know it's not just some unique random possession case.
1: The movie ends with a very a la carta-esque um, shot of a giant burning cross falling over and basically destroying this entire church.
0: So do you think this movie has a moral? Um, Like
1: don't bully mentally unstable people with access to Satan.
0: I guess so. Yeah. I don't think this, I think last week I called this movie irredeemable, um, which I kind of feel like it is. I don't think any of the characters are like quote unquote good people. I mean, I suppose you can take a
1: nonviolent view towards this film where, you know, if the bullies were not violent in the first place, none of this would have been set in motion.
0: True. I mean, two percent.
1: I'm just saying it's probably the most positive message you can pull out of this film is that, you know, if when violence is used as an option, then it is a poison, a poison that continues to seep and infest. And it just begets more, more violence.
0: All right. Fair enough. I think that's a good place to pause and do final (laughs) thoughts. And a rating out of four.
1: Uh, to be clear, I don't think this is this is a moralizing film. This this is a movie about. I mean, this is a movie that has a a super gratuitous shower scene. There's there's no life lessons to be learned here. Although maybe you could see this as a technological warning to AI. If you input the wrong information, you give it the wrong baselines to, you know, info to look at, it can quickly grow out of control. We see a lot of this in in our media currently, you know, people who developed very extensive AIs or had a process in developing them coming out and saying, listen, there needs to be more regulation here because we need to prevent something disastrous from occurring that may well be outside of our current concept of how shit can go so wrong and clearly those people are talking about evil speak <laughs> <laughs> all it takes is one disgruntled kid from 8chan to, to pump in a demonic bible's worth of devil latin into an artificial intelligent system to bring about a mini Armageddon and then of course that's gonna bring up what satanic Bible control debates <laughs> no no we're not gonna go that route um, as a film, uh, I I think this is a great 80s horror film. I am again really surprised that I hadn't heard of it until only relatively recently. It has a lot of the trademarks, um, except for uh, usually 80s horror films tend to be a little bit more lighthearted. At least there's somebody you can root for. Here, the movie kind of goads the audience into into demanding retribution in a way even if you don't morally agree with it, it feels like there's something meta here, right? Taking people who are normally not violent and wishing violence upon others only because they themselves have been miserable people, right? Like, these guys murdered a puppy. We cannot let that stand.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair.
1: That is definitely looking way too much into this film, but it really it shows that whether it was intentional or not, that uh, there's a lot to be garnered from this movie. It is. I'm just so surprised that we were able to pull so much out of it. And, and what is what is a script that um really probably isn't that fancy. It can't be intended, right? What, like it can't be intended to to this. This is not a deep movie. No, I don't think so. But either because there's not enough here. Or maybe there's too much. It just has brought a lot of discussion to the table here. A lot of things that you really consider for motivations behind the characters. It has to be an accident because this is the same movie that has portraying a military academy as some as an institution that would have somebody overlooking the, the Satan dungeon. And hold a beauty pageant on fucking school grounds. It has to be an accident. I refuse to believe that the same people who would write that would also manage managed to write some kind of like crazy secret backstory that we keep reading too much into. That's never mentioned where this movie really shines is when it is it, being extra as fuck. Like you got the signature devil Latin burn the house down music. You have Satan in all of his glory possessing uh well, I mean, you could say it's Esteban. It's probably both. You can just say it's like an unholy trilogy sort of thing, like Satan, Esteban, Cooper Smith. <laughs> <laughs> that makes total sense to me, actually. Yeah, and and that wrecks, and that just wrecks all the bullies. You want to see it happen. You maybe you know it's not right, but you want to see it. This is kind of a hard film to rate, though, because I feel like most of our enjoyment is is kind of like self created <laughs> by accident and also a great timing for viewing this in an age of chat GPT, because that's really the vibes it throws off. I'm going three stars here. And, and that is really surprising for, for this kind of a movie that, like you said, is completely devoid of any sort of like moral uh, value whatsoever.
0: Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I don't think this movie's real unique. It's part of a, a tradition in late 70s through the early 90s films of like underdogs, nerds, social outcasts getting revenge, right? This is, I mean, it's still a staple in movies to some degree, but I mentioned like Carrie earlier and um, Trick or Treat um, movies very similar to this one. Uh, As I said earlier, I don't, I find Clint Howard's performance very good, very believable. Um, I can definitely see him, as I said, as like proto school shooter. Um, but to some degree, that also makes him unlikable. And I think that that's difficult for the movie to overcome because you don't have a sympathetic protagonist to ride through the movie with. Everyone kind of sucks. And for whatever reason, that just it hampers my enjoyment. But otherwise, I think this movie's a blast. As I said earlier, it's like a heavy metal movie without the metal. Um, It's well acted, um, even aside from Clint Howard. uh, It's it's a classic revenge story. The special effects are awesome. Um, All of the you get to see cool beheadings and flying Clint Howard. And if you're a fan of Clint Howard, like if you think he's a good actor, this is your rare opportunity to see him in like a starring role. I think it's probably this and Ice Cream Man. Are his two like lead roles. Um, but it's totally worth watching. Uh I'm gonna give it three stars too. You you're probably right, and that his
1: performance also heavily carries this movie.
0: Yeah, but I mean I don't know like the movie is set up that way, right? It's about him. Um, but Do you, you think would...
1: they casted him and then wrote the script. <laughs> I don't know. It could have been know. written for him. I don't think. Maybe. Seems unlikely. But they picked the perfect person to star as as Cooper Smith.
0: Yeah, I don't know how he came to be connected with the role or anything. Um, but this was his first, like, big leading role. And I think it was his first role as, like, a semi-adult. This, is, this was- will probably be my
1: favorite Clint Howard role of all time. Second... To Silent Night, Deadly Night Three. <laughs> Initiation.
0: Initiation. Yeah. Oh, no, no, that's part four. Oh, is it four? Yeah. Shit, I fucked yeah. it up. Part four. Um anyhow. Next week we're gonna watch um a big one. 1985's Fright Night. Leland has never seen this movie. Um, I just found that out and I thought we needed to remedy it. Plus, we have another example of good youth gone bad. Yeah, this is probably
1: going to be our last. Our last youth corruption film, and then we'll be switching it up.
0: Yeah, but this is a great movie. It's a classic. Um, If you haven't seen it, check it out before next week. Uh, I promise you'll have a blast watching it. It's really fun. Um, And join us next week. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. Leland, do you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support. We will talk with you all next week about Fright Night. Have a good one.